further reflections on Puto. Puto, the the one who knows, or the knowing, the witnessing, the silent witness. So that's that's to. I I've used this this mantra Puto many years, you know, so that it reminds me in the end most of the time it's not necessary but because it is a it's a a word, two syllable word that that points, that reminds you to stop just this this uh, random attachment to assumptions, views, opinions, attitudes, greed, hatred, and illusion. Because the Bhutto always is aware when there's greed, it knows greed is for what it is, or hatred, or delusion. But this is called reflection, seeing things in like in a mirror, a mirror reflects. Its function is to reflect. It doesn't pick or choose or prefer anything. So any, anything that passes in front of the mirror, it'll reflect, whether it's good or bad, beautiful or ugly. <coughs> so with consciousness, then, being a con- we're all experiencing consciousness, with Bhutto, with this awareness. So it's, it's being able to notice, to pay attention the, the, the way conditions arise and cease, whatever their quality might be. So it's very simple, actually. It's it's um, you know we're we're moving towards simplicity in meditation, away from the complexity of thinking, because thinking complicates everything. Uh, when you think about something, you make it more than what it is. So in, in they use words like suchness, as isness, the way it is. In Pali, the Dattada. In fact, the, one of the Thai references to Buddha was the Dattakada. Which really, in, you know, means that which is present now. <coughs> Rather than <coughs> Gautama Buddha with the history born to Mahamaya, Father King Zidodana, uh, and so forth with a with a history and a biography you know that which is present right now other than a personality with with qualities you see in, in the language then even the, the it's it's using language to point to rather than define 
say, well, what is right now? And then we want to analyze it. So I feel, you know, a little bit like this, or we we kind of can analyze ourselves. Uh, you know, take an interest in the qualities of what we're experiencing: our mood, emotion, physical state, and uh, and become, you know. And it become complicated to taking an interest in the quality, liking it, not liking it, wanting, not wanting, judging it, it's good or bad. So, Puto is not, is not a judge. It's a, the difference between judging, which takes thinking, and you have to think to make judgments and and make value judgments, which is which is better, you know, which is the best. Is Al Qaeda the the axis of evil? Or is the United States? <laughs> you know, so then you know, then this becomes complicated. Because we each have our own uh, preference in the in these concepts we 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 have we have inclination of preferences for or against certain for the conditioned realm so buto is not is not this is not a criticizing judging about what is the best or what is the worst but it's discerning knows things as they are. It's not like you just say oh, everything's the same and I shouldn't make judgments and grasp the idea of some kind of ideal you have about mindfulness. But notice like, like this state of awareness, natural state, and that you don't create it. There's life in it. It's not you're, you're not in a trance. You're not, you know, spacing out into some some other realm, disconnecting yourself from this moment. You're fully with this moment. And so this discerning ability, you know, it's it's. Sees things as they are. It knows the way it is. As soon as we try to describe the way it is, then it becomes more than what it is. So just contemplate this. You know, like if you feel uh, confused, or you be feel you put some label on what you're feeling right now. <clears throat> then, then it's like we we on the ego level we think we know things when we when we can label them you know the the conditioning of the mind always wants to have a name for something if you don't have a name for it then it it doesn't you know we feel uncomfortable we feel ill at ease because we'd like to you know pigeonhole and put everything in a nice little pigeonhole have a little compartment everything under in alphabetical order and make us feel secure 
on the ego level, if we can organize and codify everything. <clears throat> you see, society is very much doing that with all these computers and whatnot, finding more and more complicated ways of arranging and filing and preserving information. But you can see it leads to more and more stress, you know, the, the cry of the modern person of, of uh, modern society is stress, I'm stressed out. <coughs> because uh, just uh, the complications of, I mean it's interesting, fascinating, compelling, has all these these qualities that that uh, we like, but at the end of the day, it leads to stress because there's no rest, there's no relief. It's just filling the mind endlessly, and uh, and and getting more and more refined in 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 uh, how to you know define, analyze, create new theories, new inventions. So meditation, when people, you know, when they come here to get out of their stress, it's because there's this sense of meditation is 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 one way of doing that. It's a way of letting go, of resting, of of alertness, attention, sati, sampatanya which doesn't demand that you think, analyze, make judgments, come to conclusions, and discriminate. Swajan Shah told me once, he said when he first started meditation, because he, he, he was a very intelligent person, so and he'd been in the kind of village Wat, started out in the, what they call Wat Ban, a kind of village monastery, where he did the, the study, Pali studies and basic studies that are part of the, the life of, uh, of Buddhist monks in training. And only after five or six years he kind of saw the futility of it and left and went off to the forest and then the teacher was encouraging him how to practice and Ajahn Shah said I felt like I was becoming stupid and so I told the teacher said, you're making me more stupid aren't you <laughs> because you know our sense of being intelligent is very much bound up in, in acquiring knowledge about everything through defining it, through labeling it, through so this labeling, defining these are functions of the mind, but they do complicate. So we lose our touch, we lose our connection to nature or to Dhamma, because we can live in a, in a very complicated artificial realm most of our lives. You know, our consciousness depends on, we, you know, our 
conscious moments of uh, depend on defining, on thinking, on judging, on on trying to get something or get rid of something. So this this uh, complication is in one of the definitions for sankhara, the Pollywood sankhara is uh, compounding. Adding to something. So with Bhutto, you know, there's a resting in this awareness, it's discerning. It's like this, da-ta-da, as is, the way it is. So right now, when I just say, I'm taking the, say, uh, mood. the mood that I'm experiencing right now. I'm not trying to define the mood. I'm not trying to to give it a label and uh, put it in a category, but just trusting myself to observe the, the kind of emotional state. It is as it is. You know, but, uh, you know, the, the ego wants, wants to have a word. It's like, it's this or that or, you know, put it in, into a category. So notice this, this movement, you know, always this, this, this sense of being ill at ease unless we, we, we make it into something, have it, a, a con- make a concept out of it that we can grasp. So sometimes, you know, if their moods are more clear, like anger is pretty obvious, or blatant greed, or jealousy, or fear. But so much of uh, one's mood is 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 rather amorphous. It isn't, you know. How do you how do you define? How do you what what words could define the, what I experience as mood right now? So just by questioning myself, inquiring into, I just noticed uh, it's like this. And this brings, puts me in touch with, with the reality of this moment, with the sound of silence, with the body, the breath. It includes it all, you know, the, this, just resting in this awareness. become aware, aware of my body and any kind of sensations that come into consciousness or the sound of silence very strong with me. So that is, you know, leads to equanimity. Upeka.
notice also in, in this retreat, you know, if you get stirred up by things, you know, people engage you in in chit-chat and stir up thoughts and and emotions, and then you come into the temple. Just observe, the, you know, you know, if you're trying to to stop the confusion, what happens? Where when 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 the, when I feel stirred up by things, then I I just sit and just let it be. It's like letting uh, this kind of agitated emotion, emotional state, just settle down. Don't try to make it calm. Just receiving it is enough. It'll settle down if you don't keep stirring it agitating your mind by trying to make it calm or get rid of the uh, the mental agitation Like we all have our buttons, there's certain things that that uh, ignite emotion. Sometimes it surprises even myself. You know, what somebody says or does or something happens and, and a strong emotional reaction. And so in in this spaciousness with awareness then there's then we can deal with our karma that arises you know when the conditions arise and this is what 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 comes forth what when the conditions are present and I feel like this and when they're absent I feel like this Sort of like the example of the of the clock ticking, you know. So in the, in say in my kuti, so listening, you know, sitting there, I can feel. I suddenly have. It's not that obvious. It's not like it's really loud and kind of um, takes over. But it. But once you once I start. You know, just settling into this relaxing in the state of awareness, and this this uh, sound becomes conscious. And so I've always had I've, I've developed you know a karma with the the sound of ticking clocks. You know, the, because I I I. You know, there's the old habits of not wanting that sound. <clears throat> and in, 
in Thailand, in Wat Pa Pong, in the, where we used to sit in meditation, people would, one of the great gifts and prizes that wealthy people like to present to monasteries in Thailand are chiming clocks, these grandfather clocks, <laughs> with mother pearl inlay and things like this. So the, you know, we had about three of them in the, in this sala, in this hall. And they, and they weren't all kind of, they didn't chime at the same time. So, <laughs> and then they chime, chime on the, you know, every quarter hour. <clears throat> so I remember feeling strong aversion to these clocks. And I was sitting there, I want peace and quiet tranquility. And, and then the, then off goes the one clock and then another. And then I develop aversion to these clocks. I think, why does Ajahn Chah allow these things? You know, we should, you know, why does he let them put them in there? You know, and it just disturb my tranquility. You know, I'm becoming complicated, isn't it? Uh, I don't like, I don't want that sound, I don't want those clocks. So I can spend the, the rest of the time, you know, dealing with this aversion. You know, just by, you know, in, we, should, we should ban these chiming clocks from the meditation hall, you know, and get on my high horse about controlling, you know. No more chiming clocks will be allowed in the meditation. This is my, my kind of tyrannical nature. Get up and, and pronounce, you know. Get them out of here. Of course, I didn't have that. I couldn't do that there. It was Ajahn Chah's choice. <laughs> so, so, uh, isn't spend spend the meditation time just feeling annoyed and just waiting when it, the next one goes. And if you, I can't meditate here. You know, this is not a this is not a suitable environment for meditation. And so it becomes more and more complicated. Though I'm complicating it. The situation isn't complicated at all. It is what it is. It's, it's like this. Now, if I have an ideal in mind of what a meditation hall should be, you know, so my ideal meditation hall will not have any chiming clocks in it. And so then I go to somebody's meditation hall that has chiming clocks. What, what happens? Can't meditate here. This isn't any good. Um, I just get averse if I just follow because I've set the standard you know no no chiming clocks and then uh, then when there are when those things appear then I can only react to them with aversion so the the puto notices this puto notices the you know this aversion this this kind of anticipating, even even when they're not chiming, you're kind of anticipating when they're going to chime next. 
and then the mind can get really, you know, obsessed with aversion to, to something like that. So in reflecting, you know, the recognizing the way it is, 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 uh, it's not coming from, from a standard of how things should be. You know, the way it is is just the way it is. It's not, not, it's not, uh, you know, whether it's, it suits me or it doesn't suit me or it fits my high standards or it doesn't. That's not the point, is it? The, the puto is, is, is not reacting. Doesn't, Puto doesn't react, but receives. It's the way it is. So once I establish this refuge in the way it is, then it includes everything, you know, the chiming clock or whatever. Then, then I don't create aversion. You know, I'm not I'm not complicating the way it is with what I want it to be or what I don't want. So this is like this is the the <coughs> it's <coughs> seeing things as they are. You know, are chiming clocks an obstruction? Is that the real problem? Is that the source of my suffering? <coughs> Or am I creating suffering around the, the the chiming clock? You know, so I'll ask myself this question. And I, oh, why does Lung Pacha allow these, you know? We don't need them. They're unnecessary. They're a bit gaudy. They're, you know, they could put them somewhere else. And on and on like this, and so then, um, then it becomes more. It's compounded into a problem for me. But who is the creator of that problem? You know. So then the ego says, "It's Ajahn Chah shouldn't allow it." So Ajahn Chah, the clocks are the problem. Ajahn Chah is the problem. The people that donate the clocks are the problem. Or am I creating a problem? So, like inquiring, self-inquiry, you know, like with the, using the Four Noble Truths, the, the suffering, I'm really irritated and, and resentful uh, and averse to these clocks. Is it the clock's fault or am I creating the suffering? So this way, in, in exploring this paradigm of the Four Noble Truths, you know, you begin to, to notice that actually, you know. The clocks aren't making me suffer. I'm making, I'm, I'm making myself suffer around the clocks. Just getting to know this, you know, how we create suffering. Like here in the community, Amaramati, we have a standard or an ideal of what we want it to be. what a good monastery should be and then then we uh, and then when things arise that we don't want that shouldn't be here according to our standards we we just we create suffering 
suffer because it shouldn't be like this, you shouldn't be like that, it should be like this. And then we get into that of upholding a high standard and into into our idealism, you know, we've got to control everything to keep it at a high standard all the time. So we we're it becomes increasingly more complicated. To try to keep this changing world live up to a high standard of our, of our ideals is an impossibility for one thing. It's futile. It's that myth of Sisyphus kind of problem. Are you rolling the, the heavy boulder up the hill and you get it just to the top and it rolls back down so you have to go down and roll it up again <laughs> so I mean it, it's uh, trying to to control everything to, so that it doesn't offend, irritate, upset me creates that makes us that we become too precious We're, we, we can't relax with life we can't flow because there's too many things that can disrupt us, can irritate us, can frustrate us. <clears throat> you notice in the country, you know, Western Europe, with countries in Western Europe that are very organized, highly organized and controlling, you know, people get, you know, the problems of alcoholism and drugs are very strong. Suicide rate is high. Uh, depression, all this, because it, it's just trying to keep everything, you know, keep it all going. Takes It's so exhausting to try to sustain high standards as the, as the purpose and meaning of our life. It's just exhausting. So as meditators, we can become quite refined, actually, as we, you know, we gravitate to silent places, natural places. Uh, we don't, you know, we try to avoid um, going to London as much as possible or any kind of distracting, harsh things. Uh, we can, you know, we we can be into this shh, don't talk kind of style this is noble silence and uh, somebody starts whispering we go shh <laughs> remember that from childhood and school you know the school teachers were always doing that shh <laughs> Shut up.
So with Bhutto, this is this isn't you know it's not controlling. It receives so the, the ticking clock in my kuti. I receive it. If it's there, it belongs there. That's a different attitude than I mean, I should take the clock down and put it somewhere else, put it in the cupboard or or in the bathroom or something like that. <laughs> I mean, these thoughts have occurred to me. <laughs> but then I use it. And why, why do I get, why do I feel irritated by this? You know, and I can see, because... Uh, you know, this, this, not wanting anything to, when I'm meditating, not wanting anything to disrupt. I want, I want every, the environment around me to cooperate and, uh, and support my tranquility. So there's a lot of me in it, wanting. And just observing this, not, not judging, but noticing how, you know, how, the, what I can create, this, this suffering over something is, is relatively minor and insignificant, as it's not very obvious, uh, minute hand on this clock makes. So then, seeing the, that I can, you know, how much suffering I can create over nothing, or by receiving it, changing from the, the monk with the high standards uh, that that wants to shut out any kind of uh, irritating object to the puto knower of the world, isn't it? Loka we do the knowing of the way it is, and then trusting in this. Puto, rather than in my emotional reactions to something that, uh, that, uh, that annoys me personally. So this is like to to, to use the, your life here, you know, just to when you when you are annoyed or <coughs> upset by things, these are points to investigate, not not to analyze. You know, why do I get annoyed, and and, uh, and you know according to, to thinking, but just noticing the, the difference between what's actually happening and the reaction we have to it. Instead of blaming the clock, you see, as the cause, the cause of my suffering, I begin to see I'm creating suffering around the clock. The clock is what it is. And um, and because it's here and now, it, it's you know it's included. Everything the mirror includes everything. Not censoring anything. So then, being the mirror rather than the than the uh, fussy critic.
So more and more this this puto allows us to become knowing, like pure, like space, like, and it's not nobody. Because to become somebody, you have to start thinking again. My standards for a perfect meditation place is like this. Then that Ajahn Sumato, you know, defining what is what he likes and what he doesn't like. And what he thinks is appropriate and inappropriate. According to my standards, my views, my opinions, they might be very good views, might be very right views, but they're still views. And that attachment, you know, out of ignorance, not not respecting puto, but just following my my righteous views, I can create, I can make you all suffer, not only myself, of course, you would be suffering through your heedlessness, because even if I've been a, a tyrant to you, <laughs> you know, is, am I the cause of your suffering, or are you creating suffering around my tyranny? Well, these are these are questions to ask yourself. So when I inquire like this, you know, then I can, even if somebody is uh, being uh, abusive to me, you know, being really nasty to me, and I can say, you're the cause of my suffering, and, and, and probably everybody would agree. That person is so rude and so insensitive and so malicious that he is the cause of suffering. We, you know, on the worldly level, we don't say, we've got to get rid of that person. You <clears throat> can't stand it, because it, he just causes everybody to suffer. He's the cause of suffering here in this community. But then, taking it to the level of Dhamma, you know, even if somebody is being an, you know, an absolute ass, then uh, I create the suffering, don't I? By being averse, by hating, not wanting, you know, getting caught up in this aversion, and, and you know, making it, and, and then we we all meet together and we all say, "Oh, that person isn't any good." We all stir each other up. And he's deliberately doing this. He's on a power trip. I've heard this a lot. You know, people are always blaming people for going on power trips. And uh, we, we and these trigger off all these strong emotions, indignation, uh, righteous indignation. We can't, we can't allow that. We've got to stop this. And then we get into the genocide mode. Kill him. (laughs) 
So notice this in the monastic life it's the same as anywhere else in you know how we can create villains in the Sangha. Or, you know, we can create, you know, just uh, because we we don't agree or don't like some some monk or feel critical of him, then we can we can uh, we can wind ourselves up. I can do it. I'm very good at that. <clears throat> but then, from the the puto position, the uh, I trust that. I don't trust that other. My my righteous indignation has gotten me into a lot of trouble over the years. It doesn't, you know. I it makes you feel good, you know. You know, it's kind of it's kind. It makes you feel very energized to be indignant about things, and to to really, you know, and be right at the same time, be absolutely right, and and you know you're right, and everybody says you're right. And uh, and that you know getting on the high horse, isn't it? Very powerful uh, energies come from that. But Pluto, you know, is can be aware of that when I when I because this is this is a, a habit pattern. I trust the Pluto rather than the feeling of I'm right. The Bhutto is not, it doesn't, even judging the righteous indignation, just knows it is like this, feeling righteous and indignant and angry is like this. So in this way, it, it's, it gives you perspective on these conditions that arise and cease. And so, like Sakyaditi, you know, in, a, in monastic life, you can become very uh, righteous because we're dealing with with uh, morality and and uh, with vinya, with uh, high standards, with discipline, uh, goodness, virtuousness, barami, all these things, very, you know, very good things. You know, so we can, we can, you know, the, what we're here for, aspiration and goodness, virtue, beauty, morality, responsibility. Uh, you know, these things are all kind of inspiring words. And they're all, you know, quite, they're based on being good and right. And on principles, having high principles and on ideals of like love and compassion. So, in in you know in uh, in any religion, there's this this danger of of spiritual pride and and uh, looking down on others. You know, feeling that you're somehow better than somebody else because you're you're celibate or you don't eat meat or things like this. So, even like vegetarianism can be be uh, a kind of form of snobbery you know you you wouldn't stoop to eating a pork chop 
And then you see somebody eating a pork, you see me eating a pork chop. And then you, how can Arjun Samato do that? You know, because that was once a living, breathing animal, you know, that was slaughtered and he's eating it. It's disgusting. You know, I'm really disillusioned with Arjun Samato because he shouldn't be doing that. Somebody, you know, that is in his position. And so then you, 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 because you're against violence, against slaughter, uh, and then, and if you justify all these high-minded reasons, one can really feel angry at somebody who eats meat, or feel that you're somehow much better than they are, or feel disillusioned because this is the high standard that you hold, and, and when somebody doesn't live up to that standard, you can only feel disappointed when you expect them to. Maybe you expect me to live up to that high standard because you want you want me to be perfect for you. You know, so you you uh, you can only be I can only disappoint you then, I'll tell you. So the Puto can see this. You know, the high standards are good. We're not saying you shouldn't have high standards or shouldn't be vegetarians or things like this, but recognizing the attachment to these conditions because identifying, like being attached to the idea I'm a vegetarian and, 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 you know, creates an ego, a sense of I am a vegetarian, I am pure in the vinya, I am a good monk, I am uh, belong to the the Thai forest tradition and I am, we are our standards are high and and we become we become uh, elite, elitists snobs and look down on others through attachment to righteousness, goodness, high standards principles and all the rest. So, so the Bhutto doesn't, you know, can begins, has this ability to notice this, the suffering we create. Like, righteous indignation is a very agitated state of mind. You know, to, to look down on somebody else is also a, a, a form of suffering. To feel that I'm I'm better than you are. When I really look at that, you know, as experience, it's not a peaceful mental state at all. You know, if I'm attached to this, and this is how I, I how, how how I experience life is feeling superior, this is not a peaceful state to abide in. So, like in examining the the first noble truth, the suffering and its causes, the first two, attachment in the clinging, upadana, dana upadana, desire and attachment. So you see, the world then is this creation that we make of, uh, you know, which we can make, you know, the worlds we live in vary according to 
conditions like anything else. But um, you know, the but the when, when we're even attached to the very best of the conditioned realm, that attachment will cause dukkha, will cause suffering. So in Bhutto, it's not, it's not, uh, you know, an annihilation of the conditioned realm. As I've said before, but to reiterate this, it includes the conditioned realm, embraces the conditioned realm, and all that that implies, and the, the good conditions, the bad ones, and it's not exclusive. It includes everything, the, the chiming clock, The, the righteous indignation, the uh, feeling better than somebody else, feeling inferior to somebody else. All these things are included because Bhutto is now aware of them as in suchness. They are what they are. You know, they're conditions that arise and cease. So when we think, I shouldn't feel better than other people, I shouldn't look down on others, uh, being attached to this idea also will create suffering. Being attached to the, to the principle of, you know, wanting to, to, to not look down on others. So the putto can see all these, the way that the mind can shift and move. But it's not judging, it's observing the da-da-da, the suchness, as isness of this. Receiving it in, in this broad spectrum of awareness. So since you can't create Bhutto, you can't, you know, it's not a matter of creating it and getting it, but in being it. You know, so this is an act of trust in yourself. Or is it an act? It's just learning to to let go of, of the world and to, to trust in, in this awareness. And just the openness of this moment, as in, in a relaxed way, not in a tense effort to to control your mind or get anything or get rid of anything, but just receive, open to this moment, both internally and externally. Everything belongs there.
So it's not not a creation, you know. It's not like some kind of practice that you create, and uh, when you when you when you do meditation as such, it's the refuge, you know. Bhutang Sarangachami, and to recognize, awaken and recognize the way it is. I notice in the, the word evil has come up a lot in the, on the international scene because we've got two kind of righteous leaders uh, in Tony Blair and George Bush. <laughs> you know, devout Christians who are, who are right. And, and, the, and they point out where evil is. Now this is, and see what it does to the, to, you know, how, how much confusion it causes. You know, it divides, suddenly, you know, you just, the word evil is an English word, is, uh, is, uh, you know, a very powerful word. You know, it's not just bad, something bad, but evil has a kind of religious Connotation, you know, like satanic, kind of absolutely dark and despicable and threatening. Then, you know, the forces of evil. Who knows what, where evil lurks at this moment? You know, we all get paranoid. And, uh, Remember the, talking about the dark side. You know, there's only people in the West. I remember in the, in the United States when I was growing up, it never talked about the dark side. It was a very positive time. You know, where everybody was, you know, every cloud, every dark cloud has a silver lining. Let a smile be your umbrella. And, and everything's going to be just fine, you know. And, and so it, this kind of positiveness of, of uh, laugh and be happy and, and uh, you know, it was the kind of American kind of naivete of the 30s and 40s and 50s even. Then, you know, it started awakening to, you know, recognizing that life is like that. It's not, you know, sunny days and, and happy, happy. That those things, we have those moments, but this is 
not the way life is, is for most people all the time. And then there's uh, what they call the dark side. And then when I remember when I first heard the term, I thought, oh God, what, a, what that is. And you can imagine anything inside yourself, I could. You know, what, what evil forces lurk inside of me? I don't want to know. I just want to be happy. <laughs> happy clappy. <laughs> I kind of remember the, the film actress Doris Day always represented, you know, this kind of effervescent happiness bubbling over. <clears throat> I think the British hated it. <laughs> it was very American. <laughs> but, uh, so that, and yet, evil is also fascinating, isn't it? Evil things, sata- Satan, the devil, these are quite fascinating actually. Even exciting. So, you know, in, in violence, in a lot of horror films or blockbuster films, you know, where a lot of violence in, takes place, these excite the mind. Violence, sex, all kinds of sexual things are, uh, you know, interesting to us. They excite us. So, sex and violence, you know, really sell. So a lot of movies are around that, you know, making, putting in a lot of sex and violence. It brings in people, you know, get, this, this stirs you up, interests you, takes you over. But evil also is to be seen, you know, in terms of, you know, this, what is evil, you know, is there anything permanently evil? Is, there, is the force of evil some kind of absolute force in the universe? And people get into arguments about this. But in terms of experience, you know, what, what happens, you know, is like anger. Wanting to, uh, righteous indignation can be evil. You know, because I want to kill off the infidels. Uh, destroy, you know, the forces of evil can be evil in itself. Because in this, this righteousness can, can like the crusades or oftentimes witch burning or, or these, uh, pogroms or whatever, they, you know, they're all done in the name of righteousness, in the name of God. Like the, George Bush is, is, you know, he's fighting for righteousness and, and what God wants. And so is Osama bin Laden. You know, so this is, this, uh, this, they're both convinced they're right. And then they, then they do make, follow and act upon that feeling and what happens. Well, it happens to you when you do things like that. You know, you get obsessed with being right. Yeah, and I, you know, when, whenever I do this, I, I really can, you know, want to punish the other, the person I feel is wrong. Brings up something quite nasty in me, wanting them to be punished 
wanting them to pay for what they've done, wanting to humiliate them and make them admit they're wrong. And, and so this is not, you know, I can see this, this potential in myself for, for uh, persecution in the name of righteousness. I'm not, I don't consider myself malicious, like cruelty because I like cruelty. Because I enjoy watching, you know, seeing other creatures suffer. I don't, I can't connect with that one. But I can connect with uh, this righteous feeling of wanting to punish somebody else because they're, they're wrong, or they're bad, or they're evil. And this, and so the Puto embraces this also. Knows that this is the way it is. But it, its relationship to it is not judgmental, it's just receptive. And, and so both the, the righteousness and the desire to punish are seen in terms of Dhamma. They arise, they cease. It's anatta, it's not self. Nothing. When once, you see it for what it is, the way it is, then it's, you know, it's, um, it's no longer a problem. It naturally ceases. So, you know, this, this is what I'm saying this morning, this mere for reflection, to encourage this, because it's, you know, in a sense, I find it quite interesting and to be able to, to, um, break through, you know, to find the way out of the traps, uh, that one, that one is bound to. On the condition level is very, you know, such a relief. One time someone described Nibbana as the feeling you have when you, when you're carrying something heavy and you put it down. But that's not like a, a really high feeling, is it? It's not like getting high on cocaine or drugs or something. And, blissed out, out of your mind. But we can all relate to having to carry something that's very heavy and then that putting it down, it feels like this, relief. Letting go then, you know, being able to let go, to relax into the present, to just be with yourself, to not always feel you have to be doing something, changing yourself, trying to get rid of things or get some develop something you don't have yet it's a, a relief it, I feel it is relief because that that kind of habit tendency compulsive tendencies of of you know having to do things and uh, trying to purify and get rid of and cult and 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 it cultivate good states and get rid of bad ones. All this sense of me having to do this all the time. 
uh, is uh, it's like becomes a burden in one's life. It makes everything more than what it is. It complicates, compounds. So see, you know, this this reflect on this sense of relief of being able to put down some a heavy burden. Uh, the relief that just the the that moment when you put it down and you're not straining under the things. Then nibbana. <laughs> or or letting go. Letting things be what they are. Not not feeling creating guilt and and uh, fear around dark thoughts or emotions that arise in your consciousness, but just see them. They are what they are. We're not trying to suppress them or dismiss them or deny them, but it's very honest, isn't it? Very direct recognition. The puto is completely honest, but not judgmental. Because, you know, this is a, you know, a kind of obvious truism. Things are what they are in the past. You can't deny that. Whatever you're feeling or experiencing, it is what it is. And then it's good or bad. Then you're making it more than what it is. So, So even if you're in a bad mood, it is what it is. It's a bad mood. Then it's more than what it is because you've you've compounded it with def- de- uh, some kind of definition. And then bad means dis- you're discriminating. You're seeing it, uh, you know, as uh, judging it, putting some value judgment onto it. But this is where you can trust yourself with the awareness. That, you know, they, you know, if, 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 then people feel, well, we've got to know good from bad, right from wrong, and otherwise we, we won't know and we'll do something. We might be doing bad when we should be doing good. And so the mind creates it into more of a problem. But remember that, that panya is also part of this. The panya, sati and panya, wisdom, discerning. You see what what, you know, the causes of suffering by acting, by doing, acting on, uh, on dark forces is, is, uh, is suffering. It's like, you know, putting your hand into the flame and it burns. So you don't put your hand into the flame anymore once you know it burns. You don't have to go around and say, oh, now don't put your finger in that flame. And go, don't put your finger in that flame, do you? I don't. I just know better than to put my finger in that flame. <laughs> just, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's obvious that, that if I put my finger in that flame, it's going to hurt. Unnecessarily, unless it's a point, you know, where I have to put it out, then maybe I might be willing to endure the the pain uh, for that. So 
So in the, say, in the Sangha life, just see also, you know, the, what brings us here. We all, you know, have this moral base, this Vinaya, the precepts and so forth, as guidelines. But in, and so that, that, that determines how we act. You know, how we live with each other and on this planet, how we, you know, determines our relationship, physical, verbal relationships with the world. Do good, refrain from doing evil. But then in terms of Dhamma, you know, then it's, it's, um, the dark forces, the anger, the maliciousness, the fears, all these, as they arise, the Bhutto sees them for what they are. They are what they are. The base and Karanija, all conditions are impermanent. The Paitama Anatta, all Dhamma is not self. 